Welcome to another episode of the Amford Church Sermon Podcast. We're thrilled that you're taking the time to listen to what we have to say about God, the world, and you. These sermons are recorded live during our weekly Sunday morning services. To find out more about us or to plan a visit to join us, check out our website, amfordchurch.com. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy. If you could just keep one of these things in your life, in the world, which one would you keep? And I'm going to ask for a show of hands as well. So hands up, if you could just keep one of these, who would keep music or television? Okay, two great uh, art forms. Hands up, who would keep music? It would mean that all TV, and let's throw cinema and films and things like that in there, were taken away as well. Okay, I'm thinking that's the majority. Can I see the hands for TV? Interesting. A few, fewer, but, you know, there we go. Okay, Uh, how about this one then? You can keep just one delicious source of carbohydrates. They are, in case you couldn't tell, just an immense loaf of bread some delicious fresh pasta, or some juicy fries, potatoes. So what would you keep? If you could only have, for the rest of your life, one source of carbohydrates like that with your food, with your dinner, I would probably choose, as long as it was really nice bread. Bread. Anybody with me? Choosing the bread? It's glorious, isn't it? Um, Pasta. Nice fresh pasta. Okay. Continental. I like it. And uh, potatoes and the chips. You pigs. You pigs. Disgusting. None none of these too controversial so far. The last of the quiz, if you could just have one of these. Uh, From where I'm standing now, it kind of looks like a cup of tea and a cup of soup. That's actually a cappuccino on the other side. Would you keep tea or coffee? Hands up for tea. Uh, For the biscuits as well. Yeah, you get the biscuits with them. Hands up for coffee. Yeah, it's got to be coffee, isn't it? Um, those sorts of questions can be really controversial, actually. I advise you not to ask similar questions around the dinner table this afternoon or over coffee or tea at work on Monday um, because they're the sorts of things that really polarise us. They're the sorts of things which put us into particular groupings, aren't they? I am of coffee. I am of tea. I am of music rather than TV or bread rather than potatoes, what have you. Um, And if you were with us last week, it was that sort of dividing, it was that sort of clumping together over a particular issue, over and above something else that was causing problems in Corinth, or one of the things that was causing problems in Corinth. But I wonder, if Paul had the opportunity to say, do you know what, just one thing to the people of Corinth, what would he choose to say? He had to get rid of all of his letters to all of the other churches and he could boil it down and slim it down and he had just five minutes to give them what he wanted to give. What would he say to them? Well, we don't have to guess because in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, I'll read them to you now. You can turn to it if you'd like. He essentially says, when I came to you, I had chosen just one thing that I was going to share with you. I had chosen just one thing that was going to be my obsession for the entire time that I'm with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. We find out that Paul 
came in Corinth like this. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom, for I had decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, I come to you, and there's so much stuff that I could chat about, that I could obsess about, that I could try and pass on to you, but I've got this choice. One thing that is going to be of first importance, and he chose Jesus Christ and him crucified. I wonder what you would choose in the midst of the divisions in the church in Corinth. Would you choose wisdom? A lot of people had chosen that. Would you choose power? Would you choose status or authority? If you were going to know one thing in that city, in that place, which would you choose? Paul says, I came to you. I came to you with this message of the cross, chapter 1. People saw it as foolishness. Those who were perishing saw it as foolishness. But to those who were being saved, it was seen to be the power of God. Christ crucified is what I brought to you. And it was a stumbling block, stumbling block to so many people. But to those God had called, it was seen as the power of God. I have come and I've decided to know nothing but Christ Jesus and him crucified. What do you think he means by that, to know nothing? Because you can really push that statement to the nth degree, can't you? In, in my study this week, I was kind of imagining scenarios and questions and conversations Paul might have had and how he would respond if we took a statement like that properly, literally. So if someone came up to him, for example, on the street in Corinth and said, oh, excuse me, do you know the way to the post office? What would Paul say? if he decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Perhaps he would have said, Brother, I know not where you can dispatch your mail, but the one thing I do know is that the path to heaven is following the way, who is Jesus Christ. I, I don't think he meant that. I don't think that whatever question he was asked, he always flipped it to explain Jesus Christ and him crucified to people. I also take it that he didn't mean that no matter what theological question or question probing the life of Jesus that um, interested people may have given him, that he would have said, sorry, bro, that's a little bit off topic. I couldn't dare explain to you where Jesus was born or how we knew he was coming because I've decided to know just Jesus and him crucified. But Paul, we've got a question about the resurrection. We're arguing over that. Can't talk to you about it because I'm obsessed with Jesus Christ and him crucified. I don't think that's what he means either. I don't think many of us would take it that that's what he means. I think what he is meaning, what he is speaking about, is that unifying thread. Remember that this statement comes in the midst of the discussion of are Paul, Apollos, and, and Peter, and all these different groups, are they in competition with each other? Does Paul represent something different to what these other two big prominent leaders in the early church represent? And he says, no, because at the bottom line was this unifying thread. It was this thing that he calls in chapter three, the only foundation of our faith, the thing that he's already called the message of the cross. Later, John read it from chapter 15 that he's going to say it's the thing that is of first importance, like the ultimate thing. It's a thing probably that we're most comfortable describing as the gospel, isn't it? The good news about Jesus Christ. When he says, 
I came to you and I was obsessed. I put everything else aside. I just wanted to speak Jesus Christ and him crucified. We know what he means is, I came with the message of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. But even in saying that, even in saying that, we scratch our heads, or we, we could scratch our heads, because there's a danger in trying to reduce the message, the good news, everything about Jesus into um, a pithy little phrase or a statement. Reductionism, kind of like vacuum packing what we believe, is handy in one sense. You can say, oh, well, well I believe the good news about Jesus, and it communicates something. Paul uses this phrase, we're going to unpack it in a second, Jesus Christ and him crucified. What does he mean by that? It reduces down a heck of a lot of information to make it pass honorable in a short amount of time. But in doing that, you always, always run the risk, or it comes at the expense of being comprehensive. We shrink wrap it down to its smallest possible size, but even then, we lose information, don't we? We, lo we lose stuff that we would still hold on to as really important. In chapter 15, when he does slightly unpack this, Jesus Christ and him crucified, you see that there is information that is not contained in that or original statement. When we say the gospel, well, what do we mean? I can tell you what I mean. Sometimes I will unpack it a little bit and I will say it's the good news about Jesus. It's the story of his life, his death, and his resurrection. But that's not the full story either, is it? Jesus' life and death and resurrection isn't the full story. How about when we come sometimes and we say, well, Jesus, the gospel is about a sinless Jesus dying in place of a guilty humanity. I mean, it's true. And it's a nice, con concise description of what the gospel is, the message of the cross. But it's, it's not the gospel. It isn't. Jesus Christ and him crucified in its totality. It's reducing things. It's a decent attempt, but it's shrink-wrapping and it's losing information. What is Paul then getting at when he says Jesus Christ and him crucified? What is the main thing that he wants us to know, that he wants his um, church in Corinth to know? Well, basically, he wants them to know everything that they can about the who and the what of the good news in the gospel. He wanted to teach them and to speak to them about this wonderful person who had come and what they had done and the implications of all of that. He wanted them to know, didn't he, about Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. A son, a brother, a teacher, a friend. Someone, a person who was born into difficult circumstances whose young life was pretty difficult, and his later life got no better. He wants them to know that person. He wants them to know a Jesus who, when he began publicly preaching and teaching, attracted quite a following for a few reasons, because he explained the kingdom of God to ways and with words to people that they'd never understood it before, but because they saw him performing wonderful miracles. Wonderful miracles, including healings and, and casting out, among other things. He, want, he came to Corinth, and he was desperate to explain to them who that person, who that man was. Jesus. But not just Jesus, son of Mary. 
He was obsessed. He was desperate to communicate to them Jesus, the eternal son. Not just the one who was born in Bethlehem, but the one who was before all things. He came to Corinth and he wanted to describe to them and explain to them about Jesus who was in the beginning. In the beginning with God and in the beginning was God. He wanted to explain to them this Jesus who was the one through whom all things were created and the one who continues to keep things going. He wanted to explain to them, to introduce to them Jesus who is God with us, Emmanuel, and God to the rescue, didn't he? He wanted to help them to see how this Jesus, both human and divine, eternal God and born of Mary, was the fulfillment of promises that had been made long ago, that he was the keeping of promises made in ancient times. When he said, I came to you and I wanted to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified, that Jesus Christ is the one who was promised even to Eve, her offspring who would come and fix everything that had been broken. That Jesus is the one who was promised to Abraham that an offspring of his would come, and through that offspring, the whole world would be blessed. That he was the keeping of the promise that was made to David, that an offspring of his would come and would be seated on a throne and would rule and reign and forever. He wanted them to see that Jesus was the um, fulfillment, the keeping of the promise that was made to the entire nation of Israel, that an offspring of theirs would bring them back from exile. Do you see when he says, I came to you and I obsessed and I wanted to know nothing except Jesus Christ, he's, he's actually saying quite a lot, isn't he? The one who, sent by the Father, promised to send his Spirit to live in us and be at work in us. The one who continues his work through his spirit, even though he has ascended. He came and he was obsessed. He was focused. He was driven on sharing Jesus, the Christ, meaning the Messiah, meaning the anointed one. The person that some people called Lord, some people called Master, some people called the Son of God, some people called the Son of Man, some people called the Son of David, some people called the Lamb of God, some people called the New Adam, some people called the Second Adam, some people called the Last Adam. The Jesus that some people called the Light of the World, the King of the Jews, Raboni, a great teacher, the Alpha and the Omega, the Great Morning Star, and loads and loads of other things. You see, when he says the message of the cross, when he says that one foundation, when he says that thing that's of first important, when he says Jesus Christ, he wants us to know all of that and so much more. I decided to know nothing amongst you except him. And that's a heck of a lot of information. That's a really special message. That is why part of our mission as a church, and I hope part of our mission individually as members of this church, is to grow in our knowledge of who Jesus is. So important. It's so important that we know about him and we continue to explore him. But he didn't just want to teach them about who this person was. He wanted to teach them about what this person had done, Jesus Christ and him crucified now, of course, we understand that crucifixion is uh, the form of 
death sentence that was carried out on Jesus. That is the means by which he was executed. It was the most shameful of circumstances. But when communicating that, you ha- he had to share with people, we have to understand that Jesus was put to death, he was crucified for no crime of his own. He'd never committed a crime. That's part of the message, isn't it? He'd never, ever committed a crime. He had lived a perfect life, a sinless life. Someone else would later say that no deceit, no lie, no unkindness was ever uncovered in his life. So why was he put to death? In being put to death, what was happening? He was being put to death for being and bringing the truth to us. You read the gospel stories of Jesus' life, and that is why they killed him. He was put to death as a continuation and a culmination of our rebellion and our rejection of God. He was put to death because you and I and all our brothers and sisters in the human race hate the notion, the idea that there is anyone in existence who is over us, who is above us, who has authority in our lives, who we need to be accountable to. When he comes and he says, I wanted to know nothing apart from Jesus Christ and him crucified, he's telling that story to them as well of how we reject God by our very nature. He was put to death because when you are cut off from life, death is the only option that's left. But in sharing this, surely, surely, Paul had to be sharing that Jesus being put to death wasn't an accident from his perspective, from Jesus' perspective. He was not crucified without intent. Jesus Christ and him crucified means that he gave himself to be crucified, that he gave his life as a ransom for many, that he willingly laid down his own life for our sakes, that that lamb, Jesus Christ, suffered, bled, and died, and was buried in our place. The innocent standing in the spot of the condemned so that the condemned could stand in the spot of the innocent. Surely that's what he means when he says Jesus Christ and him crucified. Crucified in a matter of hours and buried for around three days, but not a moment longer. Surely that's the message, isn't it? Not a moment longer. That this one who is crucified, story continues, is alive again. He's raised to new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? Surely it means that this man who is God, this God who is man, who has come and who has died in our place and now is living and breathing again, is establishing a whole new life a whole new world, a whole new kingdom in which death is ancient history. That is part of nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That having been crucified and buried and risen to life again, that he appeared in this new life to so many people. In a sense, at the time, it wasn't a secret at all 
It was public news. It was very public knowledge. He wanted people to see him, to touch him, to walk with him, to chat with him, to eat with him, and for them to catch a glimpse of this new life, of this post-death new world and new kingdom that were Jesus Christ's. And he wanted them to see that before he ascended to heaven. Because Jesus isn't still around walking on the earth. But in doing so, ascending to heaven and sending his spirit, he did that until some later undisclosed time. A time that he called the renewal of all things. Not departing and leaving us on our own, but uniting us with himself in his spirit that he would always be with his people. Jesus Christ and him crucified the good news, the gospel, the message of the cross. Do you see how it is so much more than just a few words? It's the entire story of the universe because it starts with Jesus, who has always been, and it finishes with Jesus, who will come back again. It's the story of all humanity who turned their back on Jesus who he has come and fused in with his divine nature and done what is necessary to reunite with God and made promises about what will happen to us in the future. Do you see that it includes all of those particulars, the details, the finer points of who he was and what he did, but it also includes all the benefits of all the things that flow out of it. The fact that we, by trusting in him, are forgiven people. That we, by trusting in him, are redeemed people restored people, that Jesus has become, he says this in chapter 1 verse 30, our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. That because of who Jesus is and what he has done, we are no longer our own, but we belong to Christ. That and so much more, so much more, I've reduced it down even then, is what Paul said, you know what, forget everything else, that's what I want to know. That is what I want to share. That is what I want to spend my entire life explaining and expounding. That is the gospel lenses that I want you to put on to perceive and to see and to understand your entire lives. Now, what do we know about that message? We know that it's not the sort of message that the people wanted to receive back then. It wasn't the sort of message that the people who Paul was preaching to first of all wanted to receive. And it turns out it wasn't any longer the sort of message that the Corinthian church wanted to grab hold of. You know, the thing that was dividing them was, was what they wanted. They wanted power or wisdom, authority. And Paul says all of those things are found most clearly, most fully, and most beautifully in the gospel of Jesus. In that big story. You want wisdom? There it is. That is the truth. It may not make sense to you how God and man can coexist in one person, but there it is. That's the truth. Wisdom. It may not make sense to you about how one person can die in the place of someone else and something entirely new can come about, but there it is. That's wisdom to you. It may not make sense how a dead person can become alive, and not just alive for a little bit longer, but alive forevermore. But there you are. That is the power of the gospel to you. 
He wanted them to see that whatever it was in their hearts that they wanted from a story, they found it most fully and perfectly in Jesus and his crucifixion. And I want to finish just by asking us the question this morning. What do we want from a a gospel story, a gospel message nowadays? What is it that we're looking for in the same way that the Corinthians were looking for wisdom and for power and for authority? I've got a couple of ideas. I think most people, if they wanted to have a story to be obsessed with that was going to rule and dominate their lives and, and the lives of the people around them, they'd want it to be something that was fair. Don't we live in a world where fairness, where justice, where equality and equity are apparently massively important things, whether experienced or not, but spoken about 100%. Like whatever the truth about our universe is, it has to be fair in our eyes, doesn't it? And sometimes we look at the gospel, everything that I've just explained and more, sometimes we can think that's not very fair. Have you ever had that experience, that questioning, that sense in your own life, or maybe chatting with somebody else, that the idea that someone who has hurt them, someone who has wronged you, could be forgiven, could be accepted by God, that doesn't seem very fair, does it? You just get away with it. It's one of the reasons I think today we reject that message. I think whatever story we want to be convinced by, we'd want it to be a very personal story. Um, there are you know, various narratives going around at the moment of, about climate change and, and global warming and energy sources and plastic bottles and things like that. And when they're big out there stories, they're not massively moving to us, are they? But when they're storms, three or four big storms in the space of three or four weeks, and they affect us. When their advice about how you can change your buying habits, your spending habits, your recycling habits to make a difference, they're personal stories, and we grab hold of them a lot more. And one of the things that we value as individuals in our individualistic society is that somehow whatever story explains all thing, it has to like specifically include and affect you. And maybe we look at the story of the gospel of a God who creates all things, comes into a time not really associated with us 2,000 years ago, and does what is necessary for the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The world. And we can think, well, that's not really a story of me, is it? So I don't want any part of it. I think massively, we want a story which in some way, shapes, or form puts us in the position of hero, as champion. I mean, that's, that's just human nature all over, isn't it? We want to be obsessed with something that has us near the top, if not the very top. It's definitely something that was affecting the Corinthians. They were looking for ways to put themselves on top. Some sort of story, some sort of narrative where we have the strength, we have the courage, we have the resources, that we're the ones who are going to make a difference and everything is okay because of us. And we look at the the gospel 
the story of Jesus coming in and Him doing something for us as if we're charity cases, as if we need someone outside of ourselves to put us right. And we say, I don't want that. I don't want to be a part of that at all. So what do we do? You and me, right now, as a church, as individual people, do we say, okay, well, the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the big message of that, people don't see it as very fair. It's not particularly personal, depending on how you share it, and we are certainly not the heroes. So what we've got to do is think of something new, or think of ways of explaining it that trick people into seeing how that old message is applicable to them. The answer, obviously, is no. The answer is, when we see, when we understand the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified properly, all those things that we want, we see are fullestly, most fullestly found in that story. Do you want fairness? We do want fairness, don't we? By the power of the Holy Spirit, I hope God opens our eyes to see that we are people who deserve nothing more than God's justice met out against us. That we are people, ultimately, who should be on the receiving end. And if we're in any doubt about how much of the receiving end we should be in, we just need to look at Jesus and the fact that to save us, to redeem us, to earn our forgiveness, required that he die. If there was an easier path, he would have taken it. Didn't Jesus even pray, if there's another way, let's do that way, but not my will, yours be done. You see, the gospel is fair because... Jesus willingly takes our punishment so that we can take his reward. That's what it says. The innocent become guilty so that the guilty can become innocent. If you want scales hung out and balanced, there it is. The gospel is the most fair story in all of humanity. We want it to be personal. Well, it is a story of the cosmos, it is the story of the creator and the king fixing what he has made and ruling over it. But guess what? You and I are part of that cosmos. We're a beloved part of that cosmos. Again, what happened to Jesus wasn't an accident, but he did it out of love. The gospel story cannot be any more personal than the fact that Jesus Christ came and died for us all each and every one of us. And this last one, where we want to be the heroes, where we want to end up being on top. Well, do you know what? The gospel story is a story of humanity finding its place once again in the natural order. At the start of the story, humans were given this wonderful, special privilege of imaging God in God's world and His creation, and we kicked that idea, we kicked that notion, we kicked that responsibility into touch. But the story of Jesus coming and making this new humanity and inviting us to be a part of it that goes on and on into eternity is that we get to be those images of God here and now and forevermore. We get to be heroes in the story of our world. Jesus Christ and Him crucified is all of these things 
to those who are being saved. I wonder, or I challenge you this morning, is it all of these things to you? Is that person and what he is doing and what he has done, what he has called you to be a part of, is it the thing that you have decided to know nothing else but? Is it even true for you yet today? Is it even something that fits in your mind or in your heart as being not a fairy tale story, but a retelling of history and reality? My prayer is we continue to make Jesus more known and to know him more for ourselves, that this story would be our story. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for the single-mindedness of people like Paul and others in the time of the early church. Lord, we thank you for your grace in opening his eyes and helping him to see how Jesus joins everything else together. Lord, we thank you for that succession of people who have been obsessed with that, who have been convinced by that, who have found everything that they could have wanted and hoped and needed in that story, in that message, and have passed it on. Lord God, I thank you that so many, the majority of the people in this room today, have seen that, have understood even just a slither of that story. Lord, and you have helped it to be true in our own minds and our own hearts. I pray especially for anyone who is here this morning, Lord, who doesn't know that story for themselves, who, doesn't, who don't see how they fit into that story or how Jesus and him crucified has anything to do with their hopes and their dreams and their desires. Lord, again, I pray by your spirit, you would be at work helping us to see, helping us to hear, helping us to believe in Jesus, the Christ, the Son, eternal, sent, lived, died, risen, ascended, coming back again. Our King, our Lord, our Saviour, Lord, help us to see and to cling to that. Lord, we're about to take communion. We're about to eat together the symbols, the elements of that story, Lord, which is reduced down into just bread and juice. Lord, help us to see the whole story as we take it. Help us as we bite into that bread as we swallow it, to contemplate and to consider what it was, what it is that Jesus, the eternal Son who existed before anything else, has flesh, has blood, has bones as we do. That he has lived in our broken world, but he has beaten it. He has conquered it. He has risen and he is now the first fruits of a new humanity. Help us to consider that and to feed on that as we take it. Help us, Lord, to consider as we drink the juice, his blood, his death in our place, what he has actively done for our well-being. Or help us to see how that death wasn't an accident. It wasn't something that was forced on him. But in love, he laid down his own life for those who needed it. And he picked it back up again. And he picks us back up and seats us with himself on the highest um, 
place of honor and glory. Help us to consider that and to lay claim to that, to, to hang on to that. Lord, bless this bread. Bless this juice to our bodies, to our minds, to our souls. Help us to be a people who, just like Paul, are desperate to know nothing but this man who came and died. This good news of Jesus the Christ. Amen. We hope that you found today's message useful and challenging. And we want to take a moment to offer you some next steps that you can take right now. Why not get in touch with us via email at contact at amfordchurch.com if you have any follow-up questions or things that you'd like to discuss. If you want to know more about what's going on at Amford Church, make sure to like us on Facebook. And lastly, check out our YouTube channel for video teaching in addition to our sermon podcasts. Thanks for listening.